Did you miss the DSO Connect virtual retreat this summer? Don't worry, we are offering a replay of all of our seminars from this year's virtual retreat. Go to our website, dancestudioownerconnect.com and click on Retreat Replay. You're gonna find so much actionable information, including Studio Reset, Marketing and Social Media, Developing Your Inner Leader, Building Your Community, Making Your Virtual Platform a Permanent Reality, online platforms with Kajabi and Trello, plus we have amazing dance teacher training content you can share with your team, including honing your teacher's eye for ballet, contemporary and improv for the young dancer, jazz fundamentals, building your tap curriculum, building a solid structure for hip hop, and teaching ideas to make Zoom successful at your studio. So go to our website, dancestudioownerconnect.com and click on Retreat Replay to grab yours for just $197. Hello and welcome to the DSO Connect podcast. I'm Casey and today I'm here with Amanda filling in for Robin because Robin... Just yeah. had her grandbaby. Ooh. Yay. So excited for her. So welcome, Amanda. We're happy to have you. How are you today? I'm good. Happy to be here. Always love making an appearance on the podcast. Absolutely. And we have a special guest today that I'm quite excited for. Miss Angela DeMarco is with us today, who is actually one of Amanda's teachers at her studio, Celebrity Dance Emporium. So hi, Angela. Hi, so nice to be here. Thanks so much for jumping on today. I'm going to read your bio real quick. Angela grew up in Clarence, New York and began dancing at the age of three. She continued dancing on the University at Buffalo dance team and spent two years after with the Buffalo Bandettes, the dancers for Buffalo's professional lacrosse team. She has studied in tap, jazz, acrobatics, ballet, and point, lyrical, modern, hip-hop, and palm, and competed on the local and national level. Angela is also acrobatic arts certified, and she received her master's degree in the school psychology from the University at Buffalo and is currently a school psychologist for K through sixth grade. She loves reading, baking, and of course, dancing. So we are very happy to have you on today. Welcome. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. Yay. So we're going to talk about dance and psychology and all kinds of good stuff. But first, tell us about your dance journey, uh, what your dance life was like growing up, and how you became a dance teacher. Absolutely. So I started dancing when I was three years old. And then my parents actually moved from the town that we are in to a different town to Clarence. So I moved studios when I was in kindergarten. And then I stayed at that studio for quite some time. And then I actually started, I switched studios again because of something that's kind of interesting that I think we might dive a little bit deeper into just because of some body issues. You know, I don't know if you can tell from here, but I'm only five feet tall. Oh, hey, me too. There's really not much to me. Yeah, so I, I don't really exactly have that typical dancer's body that you would think, you know, the long and lean. I'm short and, you know, I have some hips. So and I've always looked like that. That's just something that's in my DNA, something that everybody else in my family looks like, too. So, yes. Yeah, so then after that, I switched studios when I was going into fifth grade. And then I stayed there for the rest of my dance career when I graduated uh, high school. And then from there, I went to UB, the University at Buffalo, 
And I knew I wanted to dance, but I didn't know the capacity of what I wanted to dance. So I actually did not major in dance, but I instead tried out for the dance team so I could still focus on that psychology track that I knew I wanted to go into. So I spent four years there and I learned so much. I can't even start to explain how much I learned just in my four years at the University of Buffalo dancing. And then after that, one of my coaches was actually a former Buffalo Bandit. So that's the only professional dance team in Buffalo right now. And they dance for the Buffalo Bandits, who is a, the lacrosse team. And so she, she offered, she said, why don't you give it a try? Why not? So I said, you know what? We're right. Why not? So I tried out and I spent the next two years there. And the only reason I stopped is because my school started ramping up a little bit. And so it was a little hard to juggle both of them just because the practices were quite intensive and um, a couple of days a week. And I just didn't really have the time to afford to do all that. And so then after that, I was lucky enough to transition into teaching. It was the perfect opportunity. Amanda had an opening at her studio and it, it, I'm really just blessed. It all fell right into place. So yes, and so I started teaching out with just my little babes. The, we call them little stars at the studio. And then from then on, I just added more and more classes. And I am doing exactly what I wanted to do in life. I'm still focusing on my psychology. And I'm still dancing in some capacity. So I absolutely love it. That's awesome. And for listeners at home, Angela has her, her background is like a kindergarten teacher bulletin board <laughs> montage of awesomeness. So it's like so very kid oriented for her Zooming. I love it so much. <laughs> Quite appropriate, I must yes. say. Yes. Totally. I love it. It's like so very cheery and optimistic looking. <laughs> so obviously you are, you love working with kids. Did you always know that you wanted to work with kids or was that something that came in later? Oh no. I always knew that I wanted to work with kids, but then I also knew that I couldn't be a teacher because hats off to all the teachers out there because I couldn't do it for however many hours a school day is. I just knew that that was just not for me. So I kind of dug a little bit deeper and then I knew psychology was always something that I was interested in. And then once I figured out that I could kind of pair the two together to be a school psychologist, that's exactly what I did. So I researched the best programs in the area and then kind of moved forward from there. That's amazing. So tell us more about what a school psychologist actually does. Like what does your day typically look like? Well, you know, not in COVID times. <laughs> <laughs> right. During typical, you know, yes. So a school psychologist, I kind of like to think is the school's detective, if you will. So my job is to specifically see how students are learning. And if they need a little bit help with their learning, I figure out where that might lie. So if they have, you know, some difficulty with their processing speed, I give them a couple of tests and then I say, you know what, yeah, they, they do have a couple of deficits there. Maybe they need some extended time during tests. Or if they have a learning disability, I break it down even further and see, okay, it's specifically reading and breaking down those words, but they're able to comprehend what they read. So it's a little bit of, like I said, detective work, which I really, really like. I've always been one of those kids who, you know, love those Slylock Fox things in the newspaper, trying to figure out the, yes, the discrepancies and whatnot. So yes, so it's a lot of um, legal work. There's a lot of mandates here in New York that you have to follow through with, um, like reevaluation to see if the kid still in fact does need all the supports that they have in place for them. 
or you know if they if the teacher and parents both think that there is some sort of deficit then that does become a legal issue too for me then i have to go in and try to find it and sometimes it's just that the kid is underperforming but that's okay not everybody's going to be an a student so yeah it's kind of kind of tricky with that type of stuff but yeah then other times it's glaringly obvious like you know this kid has some trouble with math and we need to give them some extra supports so that's a big majority of my day kind of going through with different kiddos, making sure that they're receiving the sports that they should and learning the best that they can. And then another big portion of my day is being a mental health expert in the school. So if anybody is in crisis or something is happening at home, they come to me and I try to figure out what's going on and give them their best tips and tricks to put in their coping skills toolbox, I call it. So yeah, that's pretty much pretty much my day in the life of a school psychologist and in the littler, littler ones. That's awesome. That's so cool. So how does that, how does your experience as a school, as a school psychologist inform your dance teaching? Because obviously you don't have as much one-on-one time with your students in a dance studio setting. So how do you kind of take all of that knowledge that you have and, and put it into your dance classes? So what I try to do is same thing. Not everybody is going to learn the same way. So I do actually try to give one-on-one attention to each of my students, especially the littler ones. Like the other day we were working on step ball change. We call them rocking horse. (laughs) And so I go around to all of my students and see exactly how they're doing it. And if I need to explain it a different way, then I go ahead and do that. But that's why I love using my uh, teacher assistants because they're able to give that individualized attention as well. So yeah, I I go around to each of my students and make sure that they're learning the way that I'm telling them. Because I mean, I don't learn the way that all my teachers told me. I'm very much hands-on. I have to see it. I have to do it. You can't just tell me what to do. My brain doesn't work like that. I'm not wired that way. So I try to keep that in mind for all of my other students and apply whatever works best for them because I want them to be successful in my dance studio as well. I have a question for you. Um, I think that's awesome. And <laughs> I'm curious what you would say if you were giving advice to a teacher who was struggling with their kids um, or their kids had a lot of mental health issues, especially with COVID and all of we know. I mean, I know the teenagers that I teach, uh, some of them are not okay right now. Mm-hmm. Is there any tips or tricks that you would give them to help them out with that. I think that's something that I would be curious to hear. Absolutely. So I try to show them as much as I possibly can that I'm a human too. I'm going through just as much as they're going through. I start every one of my classes, even if it takes a little bit of time with a pit and peak. So I want to hear the best part of your day and then like a meh part of your day. So I'm not saying something absolutely devastating, but just, you know, my favorite pencil broke or something along those lines, just to show that everybody in the entire class goes through highs and lows of their day, but that's what makes us human. And that's what makes us the people that we are. And we got here today because we got through everything that we did. So I think it is really important to show that you have to show your emotions and feel your feelings because we're all in this together, if you will. So I would say just try being as open as possible and show them that, you know, you're there for them much more than just being a dance teacher. If you have to stay after a couple of minutes for class just to talk some things through, go ahead and do that. I've actually done that a couple of times this year already. Just some kiddos have 
things on their head that they just can't let go. And that's impeding them in dance. It's impeding their, their learning process. So having them just even get it out, I think has been super helpful. Even if I can't help right away, I tell them to just, you know, write it down. And if you need to write down that bad thought that you're having and rip it up and throw it away, you ripped up that thought and threw it away. So it's gone. It's out of your brain. Or, you know, if they're not able to do that and they need to do it in class, I've said, picture, you know, a soccer ball. That thought is on a soccer ball and just kick it as far away as you can to try it. It's gone. It's not even with you anymore. But then there are also things like COVID that are real and that you can't just kick away. But I think that it's important to realize that you are going to feel those feelings and that everybody is doing is in the same thing too. So it's, I think it's important to just, just take some time out of your class and have everybody realize that it's not an individual thing for the most part. We're all going through hardships. We're all experiencing these crazy times. And I'll, going back to my, my point about having everybody share something from their class, my pit and my peak, I think even if it does take a little bit longer, I completely and totally think that it's okay. Some of these kids aren't even in school, so they need the human interaction regardless. And just to show that, you know, we're together as, a, as one in the studio. Absolutely. I love that. So you mentioned changing studios at some point in your life and that decision being related to some body issues, which yeah. as dancers, I feel like it's so unavoidable. Yes. And, you know, at, at my studio, I try really hard to teach dance in a body positive way. But when you're spending that much time in front of a mirror, <laughs> it's so hard to not have that happen. And it breaks my heart that I know that we're trying so hard to prevent these problems, but my kids are going to experience them kind of regardless. So maybe talk a little bit about your own experience and then what we as teachers can do to help our kids avoid those problems. Yeah. So I did switch studios when I was going into fifth grade. So I was little, that was, that's 10 years old. That's not, yeah, that's not, that's not very old. Um, the studio that I was in had told my mom actually that because of the way I looked, I'd probably never get higher in the competition scale. Mom said, why is that? I mean, she's doing everything that the other kids are doing. And they said, you know, well, she's really short. She's got, you know, a bigger bottom. She doesn't really fit that stereotype of a dancer that we want here in our studio. And this was a so, teacher that told your mother this when you were like 10? Yeah, I oh did. Yeah. God. I know. So my mom said, no way. <laughs> we're picking up all of our stuff and we're leaving. Yeah. And it was the best move that I ever did because I have made some lifelong friends at this new or the new studio that I went to. And yeah, and the teacher just had everything in place and didn't care what you looked like. And the body positivity there was just, it made me so much better of a dancer because I wasn't constantly thinking about, okay, well, I need to position my body in a certain way so I look better. And yeah, so I think that even that young, I'm actually really surprised that I don't have some more trauma from that because that could have completely, yeah, rearranged my life direction there. But it's really, I think, a fine line for dancers 
for body positivity in the way of what you're feeding yourself, mostly because you want to be able to fuel yourself. Because if you don't have fuel, you're not going to be able to perform. And if you don't perform, then what, what are you doing? You're just kind of hurting yourself in the process. But I also think that it's super important to realize that you are going to look the way that you are. So we don't want to change that about you because that's what makes you a beautiful person. So what I think I have done actually to help with that is I use a gratitude journal. So I write things down about myself that I like, or I write things down that made me smile throughout my day. I still do that to this day, actually. My mom started. She she made me when I was little. I still remember this vividly. Oh, my gosh. Looking in the mirror and say, okay, you need to pick three things right now that you see that you really, really like about yourself. And it was hard at first. It was really tough, especially being told, like, we don't want your type here. That was really tricky for me. But then I kept going like on and on. And I kept thinking about, you know, okay, this is how I'm made. Everybody in my family, I mean, I, <laughs> my mom's 5'2", my dad's pushing 5'5", five five, so there was no hope for me. <laughs> there, my sister hasn't even reached five feet yet, and she's 24, so there is, there is no hope. <laughs> but yeah, I realized that I have to use my assets that I have to my advantage. So, you know, I, I just worked the hardest that I could at every single style that I trained in, and I think that just kind of made me a better dancer and more well-rounded because I wanted to kind of not only prove to myself that, you know, I do have what it takes and I might not look it, but I can do it and to everybody else. And I think that that fire kind of guided me to be where I am to be today. And I know not everybody is going to be like that. And I know that might kick some people down. And I mean, honestly, that's okay. If it does, you're human. We're not robots. We have feelings. But I think what's important is being able to use those coping skills to pick yourself back up and to keep moving on with your life, because that's what we do in life, too. Regardless of your age, you are going to encounter some sort of high and some sort of low, but we can't just shut down. We have to learn how to keep moving forward and ultimately be who we want to be. Oh, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) And are we ever in a low right now? Yeah, for real. Like a worldwide collective low. Yes. Right. It's <laughs> really, really ring true on a whole different. Yes. yes. But like you were saying, there's something strangely comforting about knowing that everyone is in it with you. Yes. That it's like a truly global collective experience that we're exactly. going through. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, especially like you were saying, for those kids who are in virtual school still, it's so important. The social interaction component of dance class is so important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, despite all of our best efforts at teaching dance in a body positive way and feeding our students' souls without critiquing their appearance and all of that, we will unfortunately probably... <laughs> encounter a student who is struggling with some disordered eating issues. And how do you approach that if you notice something or have a concern as a dance teacher? What is to you, what do you think is is the best way to approach that or to handle that in your dance studio? And you know, that is a little tricky because I I have encountered that in the past with other dancers. And it's hard because sometimes they don't see it and that you have to try to make them understand that. 
I try to think of and tell people that, you know, your food is your fuel. And if you don't have enough fuel in your body, how are you going to be able to help other people regardless of what you're doing? I had a really, really wise supervisor once tell me, if I have $5, I can give it to you. But if I don't even have $5, how am I going to give that to you? So it's the same thing. If you have the energy, you can give it to people. But if you don't, because you're not taking care of yourself, there is no way you're going to be able to perform. And then you don't, you don't even just want to think about the consequences of that. Consequences in the sense of you might you know, be letting your team down if you can't perform the way that you, that you want to. You're letting your body down. Your body could start shutting down if it doesn't have the proper nutrition that it requires. You know, as dancers, we can't just stick to a person or the diet of a person who just sits all day long. Even though we might be before a dance, we are using so much energy that is just not possible. It's just not. I also like to think of mindful eating. So when you are eating, really think about what you're eating. So I think I did an example a couple of weeks ago with a goldfish. So I had a goldfish, you know, those little crackers, not the actual goldfish, <laughs> one of those crackers in my hand. And I, I told them, you know, feel it. Like it feels a little rough in your hands. Feel the edges of it. It's kind of smooth. Maybe you have a broken one. It's jagged. Then put it into your mouth. What does it feel like on your tongue? Are there any other parts of your mouth that have some sort of sensation because you have food in your mouth? Just really think about the entire eating process and that you are fueling your body with food. And you know, sometimes your body really does just need chocolate cake. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Just eat it mindfully and really enjoy it. Take in everything, all aspects of it. Because, you know, no, we should probably shouldn't be having that every day. But if your body's calling for it, you can't ignore it. So I would say you can't really restrict yourself and you just be mindful of what you're eating. And when you are eating it, just really enjoy all the sensations because it's actually really cool when you stop and think about it and actually experience it. Because when the first person told me to do this, I was like, okay, I'm going to really think about how this carrot feels. But it's actually totally different. Like you can, you can feel it moving through your body and you're, you can feel yourself actually fueling your body. So I would say really think about mindfully eating because it's a really cool sensation, a really cool process. And if you think about that, it's like making you better and making you go, it's making you drive, then you have to do it in order to get to where you want to be as a dancer. So how would you incorporate that in a dance setting? You know, obviously we're not sharing meals together. Right. Um, do you like have a little like nutrition component of your classes sometimes? Or do you just, you know, maybe you're, you're, when you take role, you ask your kids what they had for lunch or something like that. Like, how are you incorporating that into your classes? You know, sometimes I do. Sometimes during pit and peak, I say pit peak what you have for lunch. So just so I can at least see what they're, what they're uh, going through. And also it's an easy answer if they don't have a pit and peak, mm -hmm. you know, right away. Okay. Yeah. I had peanut butter and jelly for lunch. You know, I haven't really had too many kids um, say that they haven't been eating too much as of lately. So I haven't really had those, those deep conversations, but I would hope that if, if they were having some sort of disordered eating process or disordered, um, that they would come to me. Because I have had them come to me for other problems, you know, like friendship issues or if they've been getting chronic migraines or something. So I would hope that they feel comfortable enough with me 
that they would come to me in that and say, you know, I, I am having a problem. Can you help me with that? But I'm not directly putting it into my teaching, if you will. But I would love to. I think that would be a really good idea. Yeah, I will to interject real quick because over COVID, Angela did a Wellness Wednesday series in our Facebook group where she went live every Wednesday and she did actually talk about this stuff. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I remember one of the episodes you were talking about mindful eating and she did meditation and all of our families got to watch it every Wednesday, which was kind of a cool thing. That was great. What what's the what was the feedback like on that? Did they like it? Yeah. And you had a lot of people tuning in. Yeah, I think every week we every day, I think it was a really great way to connect and um I Angela, I know you love doing it, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I remember I did a progressive muscle relaxation one week mm-hmm. and one of my students said that he felt like water after. I'm like, "Good. That means you're relaxed." That means you're not holding any tension in your body. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I hope that they took away things from that and that they're continuing to practice that. That's great. Very cool. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we will be right back with Angela DeMarco. Are you looking for a new way to streamline your business and simplify your life? We use Kajabi in our dance studios to help us stay organized, streamlined, and to save us money. Kajabi is an all-in-one platform with everything right at your fingertips. There's no need for multiple programs. Your email provider, web hosting services, automation, landing page, sales cart, and so much more are all in one place. With everything in one program, you can save hundreds or even thousands of dollars a year. Get rid of all those programs and platforms that collectively cost you way more than what you would pay for a year in Kajabi. You can start your membership site or create new products to have a passive stream of income in your business. Go to dancestudioownerconnect.com slash kajabi to learn more and to start your free trial. Again, it's dancestudioownerconnect.com slash k-a-j-a-b-i to start your free trial today. All right, we are back. We've got Casey and Amanda and our guest, Angela DeMarco. Thank you so much again for being here. Um, I want to talk a little bit about stage fright and performance anxiety um, and how we can kind of um, approach that as dance educators when it becomes something that's not just about performance, but when it's like in the classroom affecting our learning process. So I noticed that we've got so many kids who are so... um, perfectionistic (laughs) Um, and have a hard time with failure and have a hard time making mistakes, even though we tell them all the time, it's part of the learning process. And I have some kids who are just so terrified to try a brand new step because of that performance anxiety. Um, How do you handle that in a classroom setting? And then how would you recommend handling that in an actual performance scenario? So in the classroom, I try to tell my students, you know, you're here to learn. If you knew everything, I'd be out of a job and you wouldn't be here. So so I try to lighten up the mood like that. And I think a lot of them get it like, oh, okay. So I'm not going to get this on the first try. And I say, no, you're not. You know how many tries it took me? I'm still working on things. So, and I think being a perfectionist kind of goes hand in hand with being a dancer. 
I think a lot of us are. Yes. We're always looking at ourselves in the mirror, trying to critique ourselves while our teachers are critiquing us. So it is tricky. It is really tricky. I try in my classrooms to um, utilize groups as much as I can, because I think that not only are you putting on a performance for your peers, but you're also have that drive to kind of perform well. So you're not just going to be marking it the entire time. You're going to put forth your best efforts. And then a lot of times I haven't done it this year just because of COVID. I'll pair kids up and I'll try to put them with people that they're not typically friends with. And then I'll have them watch each other and I'll have them give me three things they did really, really well and two things that they should work on. So I never use the words that they did bad or something that, you know, that they messed up on, just something that you should work on. But I try to sandwich it in with other things so they know that, you know, they are still doing something really well. They all are still working hard and it's being acknowledged and noticed because there is nothing better to a student than getting acknowledged by a peer, I have found. So yes, your teacher is one thing, but when your peer is saying that you did something great, it's just a different type of feeling. Motivating. So yeah, so I try to kind of sandwich all of those in together. And on a completely different note, I think that these performances, regardless if it's, if it's in the studio or if it's on stage, it helps with life too. All of these kids are going to be giving some sort of presentation in school. They're going to be giving some sort of presentation even after school. So you have to get comfortable, I guess, with being in front of people and putting, putting yourself out there to show your knowledge in some way, whether it's your dancing knowledge or if it's your knowledge for academics or whatnot. So I think kind of putting them in front of a spotlight, if you will, in front of their peers or whatever it may be, is going to help them regardless. You no, know, there are some kids that kick back and they don't feel exactly comfortable doing it. But I would say just keep going. You just have to keep trying and trying. And if you're still not getting results, then maybe talk to the student and see what's going on in their brains. I always tell my students too, you know, if you brush your teeth one time, you're still going to have cavities. It's not going to prevent them. But if you keep brushing them every day for the recommended amount of time and whatnot, then you're not going to. So the same thing, if you perform in front of someone just one time, no, your anxiety and your fear and whatnot are still going to be there. And that's normal. And if it, it went away, then you're a superhero because that's not typical. But you have to keep doing it and keep going for it because you are going to get more comfortable with it, I promise. You just have to kind of lose yourself to the process. And I know there was a part two to your question, but it escapes me at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, the second part was how do you approach stage fright and performance anxiety in an actual performance setting? In an actual performance setting. So I think that that's something that's a little tricky because a lot of these kids are recreational dancers, so they don't get the opportunity to perform as much as possible in front of, on a stage, you know, with the lights, in front of people that aren't their peer dancers. So that one is a little bit tricky, but I do really like that we have at Celebrity Dance Emporium, at least, that we have a couple of days on that stage to get the kids comfy with it and to have them understand, you know, the lights are bright and you're not going to be able to see completely out there. You just have to give it your best. But during non-COVID times, a lot of times we do show and tell and show the other classes in the studio what we've been working on. And I think that does help because, you know, if we do, well, 
non-COVID times, of course, if we pull in parents into the studio to watch, and if we pull in, you know, other straggling dancers who are waiting for the next class to start, it's not just your typical peers watching you. And I think that does really prep you for the real deal on recital day. So that's what I would do at least. If, yeah, if and, and having an audience in the studio is almost more intimidating than being on stage because they're right there. <laughs> exactly. There's no distance. Yeah. You're, sometimes you're like right in front of your, another person. <laughs> yeah. You can see their faces and everything. Right. The lights are on. <laughs> yes. right. And it's so funny how you can see some kids like just click completely. Like they bring it. I'm like, where was this 10 minutes ago when you were just in my class doing that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. That drives me crazy. <laughs> It's like, yes, I love it. But also, can I have more of that, please? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, goodness. Um, so how do you approach parents or do you approach parents if you suspect that one of your students might have um, a learning difficulty or something psychological going on? How do you approach parents with those concerns? So typically, I... Um, check to see if parents have wrote anything in the log first, because sometimes there are some things that are in there that not everybody is privy to know. But um, I ultimately want parents to realize that I am on their side. We're both concerned for the same kiddo, and we both want them to succeed regardless of where we are and what we're doing. So I have actually not had to reach out to a parent just yet. Um, but I have had to in my school setting, obviously, if I, if I suspect a uh, learning disability or whatnot. And I just kind of ask, you know, how does home life look? Are they following directions the first time you say it? Does it take them a couple of times? Do they lose track of what they're doing in the middle of a task? Because those things, they're not, they're not separate. They translate into one another. So if you're going to see it in one setting, you're more than likely going to be seeing it in another setting as well. So yeah, if I had to, I would reach out to a parent and just say, you know, have, have you checked with your pediatrician about specific I, like ticks or whatnot? I know that is a common one, seeing kids with um, specific ticks or like, um, like sharp movements that isn't always, isn't always developmentally appropriate for where they are. Um, but yeah, I would say the first step is always a pediatrician because they can perhaps recommend a medical intervention right away. Or maybe they just say, you know what? I mean, I'm not a doctor, but they could say it's, it's normal. It's absolutely normal for X, Y, and Z reasons. So I, I would honestly recommend if there are any larger issues like that to reach out to the pediatrician because they are the professionals in that, in that realm. As for learning difficulties, I have no problem pulling one of my students off to the side and say, okay, you know what, we're going to do this together because I need to make sure that you know how to do it. Even if you don't get it right away, I want to see if that your body can do it because sometimes it's really hard. I mean, you know, I, like I said, I'm five feet tall. So some of the other things that my teachers expected me to do, I couldn't, I just can't, it was not anatomically possible. <laughs> so I just want to make sure that if it's something their body can do, then we're going to keep pushing forward. But if it's not, then there's no reason to keep pushing because it's just going to frustrate both of you. So just drop it and move on to something else. Not everybody is going to be able to do anything, everything anyways. I would so, love to just um, yeah. interrupt for one second. Absolutely. I feel like as studio owners, um, we, I don't know about you, Casey, but I feel like we come across 
a fair number of kids that the parents do not disclose any um, medical history or any learning disabilities. And then you see them in class and you're like, okay, this, there's something that's not okay. Um, it, I guess my question is, does that happen a lot in school? Like, are there a lot of kids that are like going through the cracks that are undiagnosed with learning disabilities? Because I would assume if they were diagnosed with it in school that the parents would then give us the information at dance, although I could be wrong. So is that, an, do you know what I'm saying? Like, Casey, I don't know if you can chime in on that. Like, I, do, you, do you get a lot of kids in your studio that you know? No, I, I wouldn't. Say, I wouldn't say a lot necessarily, but I definitely have plenty of kids, especially younger kids who maybe they haven't been diagnosed yet. Maybe, it, you know, maybe they're not in school yet and they're developmentally a little delayed. Right. Developmentally delayed or something like that. And, and uh, they haven't been around a knowledgeable professional to catch these things yet. Um, you know, because sometimes a doc, you know, the pediatrician might not be able to identify something in a once in their once annual visit per year, unless a parent brings up some concerns. And if the parent isn't seeing the concerns, then, then it doesn't get caught. So, um, I always bring up, if I have any concerns about a student, I bring up my observations instead of my suspicions. Absolutely. So I never say, I think your kid has ADHD or I think your kid is developmentally delayed. I say, so I'm seeing, you know, with Susie, I'm seeing what I'm seeing in the dance class is X, Y, and Z. Are you noticing anything like that at home? What's helped at home that we might be able to utilize in the dance studio to help her succeed rather than saying, I think your kid is messed up. (laughs) Of course. Right. <laughs> I'm curious, Angela, if you have any tips about like delivering that information or, you know, I feel like there's a crossover between school and dance in this department. I don't know if you would agree with that. Yes, absolutely. So if it is a learning disability, no, I don't think that they would let you know because that's a specific content area. So they're not going to say, you know, Susie really struggles with math. So it might, it might, you know, that doesn't make sense for dance, but if it's something more with their cognition, so that if it's their like executive functioning skills, so that's their ability to plan and make decisions and, you know, your frontal lobe area that does have that, those executive um, decision-making skills, that's not adequately developed until you're 25 years old. So keep that in mind. So even in your teens, like it's still not developed. <laughs> so yeah, you still have to be You're like, like I'm in my 30s and mine's still not done yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but really, we don't think about that. Like your brain is with you for your entire life. And so yeah, it needs time to grow. Um, if it is something else, though, I think that they would, you know, if it's something with their processing, because yes, they're not going to learn dances as fast as their peers. If it's something like their focus and attention, or maybe it's inattention. I think, you know, maybe you should say something or the parent should say something, or maybe the studio owner or teacher should relay that information to the teachers or I'm sorry, to the parents, because you never know. Because 
the worst thing in the world could be um, telling a student, like, come on, you need to focus. What are you doing? When they actually have something going on because they can't help that. So I, I would, yeah, I would absolutely relay that information to the parents and hopefully that they would feel comfortable relaying it too. So maybe as dance teachers and as studio owners, we need to tell parents, you know, this is still a learning environment. So however they learn best still needs to translate because they are still learning just or just learning with their body instead of learning with their brains. You mentioned some things not to do. What are some other like things that you see in a dance studio teaching environment that just make you go, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, well, let me think about this one. I, I don't always enjoy when people call out students for something that they're doing wrong, only because sometimes if you're anyone, if you're like me, I am like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Like, how can I make this better? And I'll perseverate on it for like hours after. Be like, she, she told me this at four o'clock, but I'm still thinking about it at 10 o'clock at night. So <laughs> yes, because I just have that type of personality where I want to please and I want to do it right. So I would maybe pull them off to the side instead while everyone else is practicing and say, you know what, I, I noticed that you're still not doing it right. Can we like try this together? That's something else just to build their confidence too, because if they're being shot down, there's a really slim chance that they're going to keep wanting to try, especially, yes, especially if they know that they're not doing it right anyways. So they might have the mindset of, well, why should I? I'm not going to do it right anyways. So yeah, I would try maybe tinkering that approach a little bit. Um, something else, you know, this is a little bit touchy. I just, I really need my students. And I know Amanda would agree with this coming in, looking like a dancer, because when you look like a dancer, you act like a dancer and then you perform like a dancer. But something that's really tricky for me sometimes to get over is that, you know, sometimes the dancers can't control how they look because they're not developmentally able to. So, you know, their, their parents are the ones that are ultimately getting them dressed or leaving their hair down or, you know, honestly, maybe they don't have the funds to do, to get the appropriate attire. So I think that's something that we should probably have like candid conversations with the parents about just saying, you know, this is what is expected. What can I do to support you? Instead of coming at it from the opposite direction of this is what I need, you need to do it. So like, yeah, just trying to saying, try to say that you are there to help them and we're all trying to help each other, trying to build us all up. So yeah, I think the, some of the things that that kind of irk me are the ones that are out of people's control. So yeah, just kind of reshaping your mindset and your delivery. And I think that better results could happen sometimes too from that to show that, you know, everyone is on the same page and everyone does want the best for the dancer and how can we get there? All right. Well, to, before we go, we like to share something that has made our hearts happy in the last week or so. So Amanda, what's made your heart happy? Oh, I think for me, it was seeing all of the kids this week, like totally embracing Halloween, yeah. like having living their best life dress. I, we had some like elaborate costumes at the studio, like our senior team dressed up as senior citizens with like walkers and everything like they were they really went for it this year. And Great. it was just so nice to see them having fun and like 
you know, having a little bit of normal back in there. It, that, that made my heart really happy this week. Totally. Angela, how about you? Sure. So I absolutely love behavior, which is probably not something you hear very often. Because it's something you can change. I think behavior is so cool. So I'm actually working on an entire behavior system at one of the schools that I'm at. And it's coming, coming along pretty well. And one of my principals came up to me and she said, you know, what? I'm really glad that you're here because yeah. this wouldn't have happened without you. So yeah, that made, that made me feel really well. That's awesome. Good for you. Congrats on that. That's always <laughs> nice when you get that validation. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see something that made my heart happy. I think I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback off of what Amanda said and do Halloween, just seeing the kids dressed up in their costumes. And we have some kids in the studio in person and some kids who are choosing to dance at home on zoom. And one of my online only students, she, what her mom like texted me before, like the day before class and was like, Maisie is so excited to dance in her costume tomorrow. She cannot wait for you to see it. And this little girl, she is three years old. She was dressed up as an astronaut ballerina. Full on astronaut outfit with a tutu. I died. Oh my God. It was the thing. I had to take pictures of the computer screen of her on Zoom and post it on social media because it absolutely killed me. Oh my God, I love that. And she was just so happy and so excited to show me her costume. It was yeah. Week. yeah, I still can't get over it. I'm like tearing up just thinking about it because it was so damn cute. Hey. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, Angela, thank you so much for your time today. It's been so great to talk to you. And I feel like we can go on and on about so many different things. So maybe we'll just have to have you back again. Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> Great. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, everyone. And we'll be back next week. Have a good one. Bye. 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 Bye.